Would you, would you pray with me before we come to read um, and hear from the word of the Lord this week? Our great and steadfast God, Lord, we, we come to you in the middle of, of changing times, knowing that you don't change. We come to you knowing that you are able to fulfill what we ask of you. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom um, to know your character, to, to see who you are, and, and to pray accordingly. God, I ask that you would give us humility in our interactions with one another. Humility as we come to your word, that we would be taught and shaped by it. Lord, we ask, most importantly, that your name would be glorified, that Jesus Christ would be lifted high, that, that we would speak your word boldly as faithful disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you grant us peace among us and with those who are not part of our church? Would you grant us wisdom in dealing with each other and in reading your word? And would you grant us insight by your Holy Spirit to know the truth of who you are? And would you let this truth shape and transform us more and more into the image of your beloved Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name and, and for his everlasting glory here on this earth and forevermore. Amen. Well, this week, we are, are finishing our series in the early church by looking at, at the subject of prayer. We've used this verse, Acts Chapter 2, verse 42, as, as a guide for our look into the early church. And in this verse, we read that the disciples devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves to these four things. This is what uh, the verse says. The, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so the last three weeks, we have, we have used to sort of define these first three characteristics, the preaching of the word, the fellowship of believers, and the breaking of bread, or communion. So this week, we finish off the last of these characteristics with prayer. And we could have gone a, a lot of different ways. We could have talked about prayer and worship. We could have talked about how um, these early believers were committing themselves to a set of prayers, that it wasn't just um, spontaneous prayer up in the upper room, but that they were going to the temple and, and participating in um, structured worship. And when we, we mentioned in our, our first week that there's nothing unspiritual about structured worship, that um, having a set of prayers, praying from the Bible, committing ourselves to the Word of God and, and the way that it teaches us to live our lives is not unspiritual. It's actually, it's actually the height of, of following the Spirit because the Holy Spirit inspired every single word. You know, the, the words of the Bible, we, we confess our, our God-breathed. And it's, it's interesting, the word in both Greek and Hebrew for breath and for spirit is the same. In Hebrew, the word is, is ruach, and in Greek, the word is uh, pneuma. And so, so spirit and, and breath, the, the, these words in the Bible are God-breathed. They, um, they are spoken by his spirit through men and women um, in the Bible. But nevertheless, these are God's words. So to commit ourselves to the word of God is not religious, it is not unspiritual, but it is actually the most spiritual, the most Holy Spirit-filled thing we can do is be people of the Bible. So um, this is what we've tried to do. As we've come and, and tried to define what church is, we've used this verse, 
And we've looked at these four characteristics. And we've looked at the early church using, you know, various passages from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 4 to help us define what these four things are. And so when, when we looked at preaching, we looked at Acts chapter 2 and the, uh, the results of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. When we looked at the fellowship, we looked at the end of Acts chapter 4 and we saw that these believers had everything in common. So now as we come to look at prayer, we'll, we will still be in Acts 1 through 4. We'll be in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 23. And while you turn there in your Bibles, let, let me just offer you uh, a small warning. Just because the early church is early doesn't make it perfect or, or pure. It's easy to think that this early church was a, a simple and unstructured group of people who just worshiped Jesus together. They lived in a, in a peaceful community. You know, this is Christianity in its most basic and purest form. Actually, this is far from the truth. We can just read a few chapters later, and there are already huge problems in the truth. Problems that we still face in our church today, like, like division and disagreement, things that need to be dealt with and dealt with um, according to the Word of God. And so while it has been really inspiring for me, and I hope for you, to study the early church, it has also been a warning to me that the problems with our churches are almost never because of the way we organize ourselves or because of how we worship. Almost all of our problems come down to the simple fact that we are fallen human beings who, who have been saved by grace. We haven't been saved because we've arrived. We've been saved by grace, and, and I thank God that it is grace that saves us or else we would still be dead in our sin. As the church, we are not perfect. We don't claim to be. And this is precisely why we need Jesus Christ. This is why we need each other as the body of Christ. And this is, as we will see today, this is why we need to pray. So we're in the, we're, we're in the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 23. And let me just set, set the stage. Let me just tell you the story really quickly um, of what has come before. Because... Peter and John, they, they went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they've been actually cast into prison because they were preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And they were, they were proclaiming Jesus because a man who had been, been crippled, um, someone who had been um, lame, unable to walk for 40 years, and who asked for money from everyone who would go in and out of the temple, all of a sudden was, was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And there was a huge uh, confusion and amazement among the people because this man that everyone recognized, they walked past him every day for 40 years, is all of a sudden standing and praising God in the name of Jesus. And so they, they take Peter and John and they, they tell them not to preach in Jesus' name. They don't, the, the, these, these leaders and elders, they don't really know what to do because they can't deny the fact that this man was just miraculously healed, but they want to deny that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah the king of Israel and of the whole world. And so they, they, Peter and John were told not to preach in Jesus' name. But they said that they could not stop proclaiming the gospel because this is what we read in, um, in verse 12 of chapter, chapter 4. Because there is salvation in no one else, Peter and John say. We cannot stop preaching Christ because there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's, it's after this proclamation, after they are released from prison, 
that we pick up our story today in Acts chapter 4 and in verse 23. Would you hear the word of the Lord today? So when they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together, all the disciples, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, you who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Why did the kings of the earth set themselves and, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and, and the peoples of Israel, gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So you might be wondering, why look at this passage to teach on prayer? The, the first reason is because this passage exalts Jesus Christ. And this is the primary purpose of prayer, to, to give God glory and to praise him for what he has done. Second, like I said earlier, we are using this passage because we are using examples from the beginning of Acts, from the very earliest church, to give us a framework for our church life. And finally, because this is a clear and simple example of, of what our prayers could and maybe should look like. You know, we often forget how simple prayer can be. And, and here we have an example of a, a simple prayer with just two steps. And, and these two steps are easy enough. And this is the, the, um, the kind of outline I'll be following in this sermon today. Two steps. The first is, is praise. And the second is petition. So first, the, the disciples praise God for his work, and, the, and they praise him by using his word that he has inspired, the, the Bible, and then they petition or they ask him to act in their situation. So praise and petition, or rejoicing and requesting. They, they rejoice in God's character before they request his help. They are uh, adoring God's work in the past and then asking him to work in the present. So as, as we look at prayer today, we will follow this, this two-step pattern, praise and petition, rejoicing and request. So to begin, would you look with me at the first half of the prayer from verses 24 to 26. Their prayer begins by remembering and responding to God's character. Who God is matters for how we pray. Because God cannot fulfill a request if it goes against his character. Things like his holiness, his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice should help us as we pray. Give us guidelines for what to pray, what to ask the Lord for. By remembering who God is, we also feed our own soul. This serves a, a two-way purpose. We, we not only make sure that, that we 
ask according to God's will, but, but we, we feed our own soul. We, we grow as we understand more and more of who God is because no matter what our circumstances are, God is the same. The, the church has been through some terrible experiences, yet our God has remained the same. He, he has not changed since his people were thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum or since dangerous false teachings began to split the church just centuries after its beginning. He is the same today as when believers were hunted down and put to death, just as he is the same for those who are persecuted for their faith around the world even today. We worship a God who does not change, and so we can look at his character, both who he is and how he has acted, in order to comfort us in our own circumstances, no matter what they are. Prayer begins with God's character. God's character. And the early church, they understood this. Because the, the, the very first word of, of the disciples' prayer, it, it shapes the whole, the whole thing. Everything afterward is shaped by this first word. They say, Sovereign Lord. This is the title they choose, Sovereign Lord. Not, not just God, not Jesus, not Lord. They didn't even use Father, the word that, that Jesus taught us to pray with, to address God as, as our Father. They say, Sovereign Lord. And this word is, is not used very often. This isn't our normal word for Lord that we have in the New Testament. This word is, is used of someone who has both control and authority. The, the normal word for Lord doesn't have this same idea of control, because a, a king or a lord might have authority, but his subjects can still disobey. And an earthly government like ours in New Zealand might make laws, but plenty of people still do more than 80 between Warkworth and Kuhoy. You see that the disciples address God as the sovereign Lord because they're going to ask him for, for miracles and for wonders. They address him as sovereign Lord because they're going to praise him for ruling even over human authorities that are these, these same human authorities that are threatening them. They address God as sovereign Lord because that is who he is. He is the one who has made all things, the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land. He is the sovereign Lord, and, and we can see that stamp throughout the rest of this prayer. So God's, God's character should shape our prayers. And so as, as Christians, we need to know and understand who God really is. This is why it's important to study our Bibles. And not only because God's glory is put on display when he is praised and proclaimed, but because without a right understanding of God, we will have a wrong understanding of our surroundings. So we must have a right view of who God is. God has re revealed himself to us in his word that was written, the Bible. God's character is the foundation for our prayers, and so what he has said about himself in this word matters. When these disciples pray, they speak to God as the sovereign Lord. And then they go on, they say, sovereign Lord who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. You know, God made all things. And so not only is this a description of just how sovereign God is, it, it is an anchor for the people of God that comes from scripture. Their prayer is anchored in his word. Not just in his work, but in his in his word, because throughout the Old Testament, God is worshipped in just this way. He is, he is proclaimed as the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and 
the dry land. This is a, a constant refrain in the Old Testament. So this, um, this gives us insight in, into how um, we, might, we might pray. We pray according to what we see in Scripture. And the, the prayer we have here is really a, a model. We don't have to pray this exact prayer because this prayer isn't for our situation. We have a different situation. But we have, we have a model here. We, we approach God in prayer according to his character. And we approach him in prayer according to his word. This is what we said was the first step. This is praise. Who God is and what he has done. Just speaking it back to him. Lord, you are good and your faithfulness is forever. It stretches to the sky. Your love is, is deep. It's, um, it is like the ocean. All our sins are like stones cast into the ocean. We can never fill it up. Your love, O oh Lord, is amazing. This is praise. This is worship. This is rejoicing in who God is and what he has done. But our second step, the one where, where we move from God's character to our situation, this second step of petition, this should always flow out of the first. Because first we, we rejoice in God, and we, we glorify him for who he is and what he has done. Only then can we bring our request. And this first step is important because it, it tunes our hearts like a radio to his frequency. Over and over again in the New Testament, we have this confusing statement that if we pray according to God's will, our prayers will, will be answered. And this isn't just, you know, mom is making meatloaf for dinner, so if I ask for meatloaf, I get what I want. This is, this is tuning our hearts to God. One way of, of thinking of, of this is that we pray what is in line with God's character. We pray for his, his glory to be seen in our lives. We pray for his justice to reign on this earth. We pray for his goodness and his, his mercy to be seen and savored by all people, ultimately so that God might be glorified. And this, this might seem very similar to the first step of praise. And, and, and the question for most of us is, is how God works in our situation, in our time and, and in our place. How do we pray for a sick family member? How do we pray for, for someone who has just lost their job? What, what does the character of God actually change? As glorious as it is, what does the character of God change about the very real fact that if I can't pay my next bill, I might have to find a new place to live? Our, our text today actually shows us a little bit about how these things work as well. And, and again, we are, we are isolating ourselves in this text. We could go all over the Bible and, and try to, to pull all of the various strands together about what prayer is and figure it out just perfectly, but that, that won't work. So we are, we're staying in our text today, and I may not answer all these questions, but we can be faithful to what we have before us. So before we do this, let me, let me just review and see how these points flow into each other. First, we come to God in prayer because of who he is. Because he is the sovereign Lord. He is the one who is able to answer our prayers. And, and we know this because we can read about who he is in his word. But this isn't the only reason that his word is effective in our prayer. God's word is helpful in our prayer because his word is living and active. Just as God hasn't changed, we don't need some new revelation even though we're in a new situation. What is recorded for us in Scripture is, as, as many Christians confess, the only rule or, or guide, the only guide for faith and for life. This word teaches us what to believe and how to behave, how to walk, 
what faithfulness looks like. So prayer should be rooted in God's character. And we see his character in his work and in his word. And we can see in our passage that the early church understood the value of God's word for their own lives. After we see in verse 24 that the disciples praising God for who he is, they quote from the book of Psalms. And they, they quote Psalm 2. They say, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why do they anchor themselves in this particular scripture? Well, it's because the church recognizes that God's word is relevant to each and every age that we find ourselves in. This psalm, Psalm 2, was used when the king of Israel was, was crowned. And this ruler in Israel was supposed to be the shepherd of God's people, ruling as his anointed king, in, in, in the midst, in, in the middle, surrounded by nations who denied um, the existence, the power, the authority, and rule of Yahweh, God himself, the one who made all things. But the fact that this psalm was written for for coronations, the, the, the time of this psalm didn't stop the church from seeing its importance in their time. Because in, in the time of this church, there was another king who was anointed by God. And there were other rulers and other kings around them who set themselves against the Lord and against this anointed one, Jesus Christ. The church recognizes that Jesus is the ultimate king, the final anointed one that all the other anointed ones, all of the other uh, kings pointed to. He is the one that, that the Old Testament foretold, and it is, it is this Jesus that they have been warned not to proclaim. But the, the salvation that the Old Testament constantly pointed to, this, this final um, fixing of all things, the, the final reign of God on earth, it, is, it has come. It has come in Jesus Christ, and the church knows this. The church knows that the salvation of God foretold in the Old Testament is finally here. They understand the importance of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So how can they keep from preaching? How can, how can they actually submit to these rulers who are setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed one, against the disciples that his anointed one, Jesus Christ, has raised up for just this moment? How can this church stop declaring that the salvation of God has come and that this salvation is in no other name but Jesus Christ? These disciples are facing imprisonment and beating. Eventually, they will face death for what they preach. But notice what they pray for. They pray that God would, would take a look at what is going on. That he would see the rulers who are opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rulers who are forbidding the disciples from preaching. And what they ask from God is boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of this circumstance. They praise God according to his works. They present God with a passage from his word that, that they faithfully apply to their situation. But the solution they ask for is not that their situation would change or just be taken away. The solution is that they would be able to proclaim the gospel with the boldness that comes from being filled by the Holy Spirit in the face of their situation. The, the solution is not an end to the situation, but boldness and ability to bring God glory through it. See, in this, in, in this prayer, from praise to, to petition, from rejoicing to their request, God is the center of this prayer. 
God is, is the center of the life of the church. In, in, in praise, they remember God's work as the sovereign Lord. And they hold on to his word. This word in Psalm 2 that teaches that the rulers of this earth stand no chance against him. And so they, they hold him to his work and to his word. And, and they take this word and they apply it to their situation. There are kings in their day setting themselves against the Lord and against his people. The rulers around them stand no chance against this gospel they see because they cannot stand against the Lord and against his anointed. They take his word and apply it to their situation. So when, when the word speaks to the situation, they then take God's work as sovereign Lord and they try to apply that to their situation. They ask for boldness to be given to them in preaching the gospel as signs and wonders are done through the holy name of Jesus Christ. They, they come to God and, and they praise him for his work. And then they, 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 they hold to his word. But then they take his word and they apply it to their situation, not asking their situation to change. And they take God's work and they make that their solution. God, would you be sovereign Lord? Would you, would you fill us with boldness? Because that is what you can do. We can't fill ourselves with the boldness we need, but you can because you are the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The early church devoted themselves to prayer because God can do what they could not. They prayed constantly because they recognized that they had a need and God was the solution. You know, for us, for us today, for, for everyone throughout all of um, church history, prayer is many things. It is praise. It is mourning. You can pray in laughter. You can pray through tears. Prayer might, might simply be a recognition of, of who God is or a recognition of who you are. Prayers can be long and complex, full of rich theology and, and devotion, or it could be short and simple, packed with, with too much emotion, too much desire that anything more than a simple, Lord, help me, actually takes away from the truth of your heart's cry. We come to God in prayer because he is able, and we pray because God is worthy of being praised. We lift our hearts up to God because they were made by him. They were made for him. So as we, as we come to prayer in, in our day and age, we remember that it, that it takes many forms. And we also remember that God answers prayer. He is the God who sees. He is the God who hears. So we come to him in prayer. You know, but there's danger because sometimes we treat prayer as if the only answer God will give is, is like a, a butler that we are actually Lord over, who says, yes, right away, whatever you want. When, when we come to God demanding our way and our desires, we are probably no more effective than a child who's demanding too much candy. When we ask for what is wrong for us, is God not good and gracious in withholding it? If my every prayer were answered with an, an instant yes, my life would be in ruins. I do not have the wisdom to know what is best, but God does. We should pray for, for every soul, for every wound and sickness, for every government on this planet. But his, his answer might not be an immediate 
yes. It, it, it might be a wait till later, or it might be a no. Because we can pray for every soul, for every wound and disease, and for our governments, but, but some will still reject God. Some wounds will heal in, in the normal process of time that God has given us. Some sicknesses might end in death. Some governments might still deal with justice, and, and we praise God for that, but some may rule in tyranny. Don't let your expectation define how God is supposed to answer. As a little kid growing up, we didn't have any, any kind of fizzy drink in the house. No Coke, no Pepsi. There's no LMP in America, so unfortunately we didn't have that either. Nothing which, with too much sugar. You know, we were the, the house that had a, a small juice with breakfast, a, a glass of milk with dinner, and that's, that's what we had. So when we, when we went to a, a birthday party or a family gathering, I would go straight for the cooler that was full of, of sugary drinks. And I would, I would typically have at, at least three, if I'm being, if I'm being quite honest. And for, for, a, for an 8 to 12-year-old, that much sugar is a, a pretty big shock to the system. I remember one Christmas, actually, where I'd, I should have been old enough not to eat all of my Christmas candy in one go. But I had eaten everything in my stocking by the morning of Boxing Day. And I felt, I felt so bad. I didn't eat all day, and I actually missed out on some of my favorite food. Clearly, as a, as a young child, I had a strong desire for sugar. The thing is, my, my parents had jobs. They each had a driver's license, so they had the ability to go out and get me fizzy and candy whenever I wanted. So since my desire as a child was clearly to just gorge myself on sugar, why didn't my parents just do what was easily in their power to do? Since God is all-powerful, why won't he just answer my prayer the way I want him to? Doesn't Jesus compare God to a, a good father? A good father who will give his children good gifts? He gives us bread and not stones. He gives us fish and not a snake. God has the power to grant any request you could make. The problem is that we all too often ask for stones and for snakes. Or in my case, for sugar. I'm not, I'm not an expert on prayer. Prayer is, is strengthened and, and deepened through a lifetime of walking with God through trials and triumphs. And my experience is simply not enough to give us the full view of what prayer is and can be, of, of, of what it does and can do. No one's experience is. You know, I've, I've, I've seen amazing things accomplished by prayer. But it, it's still not enough to, to teach us everything that we could possibly know. It's, it's not enough to even teach myself what I could know. But what I can do for us is, is to show from Scripture what prayer ought to look like. To give examples from, from God's word that you can hold on to because they are his words and not mine. I've been discouraged enough, and I'm sure many of you have as well, by, by trying to reenact someone else's prayer life. To see the same success or results that they have by following this this process. But there is no formula for seeing God answer your prayers if the only answer you will take is yes. But there is, as, as we've seen in our text today, there is a way to pray that puts Christ in the center. There is, a, there is a persistence in prayer that gives God the glory. There is for us in Scripture, which the Holy Spirit has inspired for us to teach us how to live there is in Scripture the insight for how to pray with 
and through the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit who Romans 8 tells us prays alongside us with groanings too deep for words because he knows what we need. And he, he fills up our prayers with all the things that we haven't thought of. He prays alongside us and constantly brings our need before the Father. And this pattern is, is what we've seen in our text today. This persistence that we need not only glorifies God, but it shapes us. When, when we keep God the center, when we approach God first with rejoicing and then with request, we're shaped by his desires and his values and not our own. When we come to God first to adore him and then to ask of him, he is glorified. Praise must come before petition. You know, the book of, the book of Revelation pictures our prayers as incense that rises from the earth to fill the heavenly throne room. And it is in this throne room that we see the picture of prayer that should shape each one of ours. Here in, in the presence of God, the prayer is repeated again and again. This prayer, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All our prayer is to be for God's glory. All of our life is to be given over, to see and savor, to, um, to proclaim the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Sovereign Lord, maker of, of heaven and earth, we thank you that, that in Jesus Christ you have, you have finally revealed yourself. That you spoke in many times and in many ways through the prophets. That you have given us this, this word that, that we might set our life and our faith, our, our practice, our belief, our behavior on a firm foundation. Well, Lord, we thank you that, that you didn't stop there, that you came and you revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that when we see Jesus, we see you. And we thank you for, um, for accomplishing your work here. Jesus, we, we thank you for your sacrifice for us, for your life and death and ministry, for, for going back to the Father and sending to us the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. Jesus, we, we thank you for, for living continually, sitting at, at the right hand of God and, and pleading for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you dwell inside us to, um, to build our hearts up, to, to bring us into fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that you are even now interceding for us, bringing our needs before our Heavenly Father. Lord, as, as we face this present situation, where we know that you are, you are sovereign over all, you have created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. You, you raise up nations and you tear them down. Lord, our, uh, our kingdoms sprout up like plants and then they wither and die when they have run their course because you appoint them to. And God, we, we thank you that the, um, the grass might wither and the flower 
might fade, but the word of, of the Lord, your word, remains forever. So God, we, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid of this present government, of this present world. Lord, we don't even have to fear the, the cataclysmic and, and, and terrible events of the end times. Lord, because you reign over this earth, you are Lord over all. And Lord, you know those who are yours. You have called us. And we, and we respond because you have, have, have shown your light into our hearts, because your voice rings in our ears, and you have given us ears to hear, eyes to see your glory and your goodness, your greatness among the nations. So God, would you give us strength? Would you give us grace for this day? Lord, would you help us to, to place our hope and security on your word, which does not fade? Lord, to flee from the desire to place our security in these uh, worldly systems, in our, our, in our ideas of how we should be living. Lord, would you help us to place our security in the finished work of your Son on our behalf, who, who died in our place, who took our punishment so that we don't have to, and who was raised to new life so that we might be raised to life and seated with you in the heavenly places. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done. God, we, we praise you for who you are. And we ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts, to give us boldness to proclaim your truth, your word, your gospel to our nations, our communities, our neighbors who, who need to hear that there is an end. And, and the end is great and glorious and good if we place our faith and our hope and our trust in you. Would you give us boldness to proclaim your gospel? Boldness to proclaim that there is no other name in heaven by which we must be saved. Lord, we do all these things, Lord, to your glory, for our good, but for your everlasting glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.